everyone, and welcome to I Am Not Okay With Day. I am your host, Day, and today we have a very special episode. I mean, they're all special. Let's just be honest. (laughs) They're all special to me. (laughs) No, but today is really special because this month is very special because this is Black History Month, and there was no way I was going to let Black History Month pass me by without acknowledging it, first of all, and without dedicating an entire episode to Black History. But before we get into all of those things, we are going to get into our Some Type of Way segment as we always do. So, at the time that I'm recording this, it's been a few days since the inauguration of the 46th president of the United States. And to say that we are very happy is an understatement. But most importantly for me and for a lot of people in the Black community, it's extra special because we have the very first Black, the very first South Asian, the very first woman as our vice president. And I, for one, I'm extremely excited because she is somebody that looks just like me. You know, when I was watching the inauguration, I couldn't help but feel emotional because it was so special. You know, it's funny because they were wearing masks. Um, Kamala Harris was wearing a mask, but you can just see and feel the happiness and the joy and the pride coming out of her, her family, you know, all the people that were there. It was such a special day and I was beaming the whole time. I felt like it was me. It really felt like a win, you know? And honestly, it had me in my feelings and it definitely made me feel some type of way. Quite frankly, it's about time because I was looking at this picture of all the previous vice presidents and then Kamala Harris and it's amazing how a country that is so diverse and that has been so diverse since the very beginning has not had representation in the most important places. It's really sad. Even with Barack Obama, when he became the president and you saw all of the previous, um, the previous presidents and then him, it's just, wow. They say she's the first, but she's not the last. And I hope that is the case because it is 2021. Okay. This should have been a thing. Anyways, we're not, we're not going to get all the way into that. But it just happened and I'm still on a high from the entire thing. And just to know that we are finally able to move on. (laughs) How amazing. It truly is freedom. (laughs) So that was a great thing that happened and we feel awesome about it. Moving on into the topic at hand for today. So You know, when I was thinking about what to talk about for Black History Month, I had a little bit of hesitation. And that was for a number of reasons. The main reason, though, is because sometimes I feel like I don't have the 
qualification, for lack of a better word. Like, I'm not qualified enough to talk about Black history. But then I thought, you know what? I think that's exactly why I should talk about it. And I think that there are people who can also probably relate to this. So, you know, again, the premise of this entire show is being authentic with our experiences. So I thought for this episode, I would share with you my experience as a Jamaican Black woman in America. So brief history. I gave you guys a little bit of history in a couple of episodes back. I was born and raised in Jamaica and I moved when I was about, when I was 11. Um, So I was there for my early years of life. When I was 11, I moved to Canada. And then, of course, I moved to America. It's also important to note that my parents are a biracial couple, which kind of sounds funny even saying it out loud because their relationship or their kind of relationship is so common where I come from um, and would never be even deemed biracial. But if we're going to be technical about it, my mom is black. My dad is Indian or of Indian descent. (laughs) Um, In Jamaica, we call Indians or people mixed with Indian coolie. And that's what I was referred to since the beginning of time. And it was a term I embraced. Um, I didn't realize until I got older, you know, the real, the meaning behind the word and, um, and even the issues that we had in Jamaica. If you ask any Jamaican, I'm pretty sure they're going to tell you that, oh, race is not a big deal. Like, there's no racism in Jamaica. It's not, it's not a big issue. And it's true to an extent. I would say that Jamaica's issues are more colorism and classism and that was something that I reaped the benefits of if I'm being very honest I mean I was there for a little bit for when I was a child so my reaping of the benefits meant I got a lot more attention from boys you know um, than my black fully black counterparts I uh, I got frequent comments about my hair and having the good hair and and just overall comments about being more attractive because I was mixed. But honestly, as a child, like I was not caring or even thinking twice about that. It wasn't a big deal for me. And I really didn't have to address my race or ethnicity for that matter, until I moved to Canada. So I moved to Canada when I was 11 years old, and um, we moved to Toronto specifically. We were in the Brampton area. And, you know, one thing that I think is very important for those who are not familiar with the Toronto area is it's a very diverse place. Um, I mean, there are people from all over in Canada. In in general, it's a thing I love the most about Canada, but especially in Ontario, there are people of all races, cultures, backgrounds, everything. It was something I fell in love with and I really enjoyed that environment. But I remember going to school and kids asking me like, oh, what are you? And that question was so frustrating because I myself didn't really get it. I didn't understand. At first, I used to tell them 
what I am a Jamaican and I thought within myself that's enough that's enough of an identifier but that would not be enough because people look at my hair and they'd be like oh but your hair is curly so you're Jamaican and what and then I'd have to explain people being from Jamaica doesn't automatically mean you're black like people equate Jamaican with being black false Jamaica has just like America, just like any other country, it has a diverse group of people. Asians, South Asians, whites, blacks. Yes, black people are the majority in Jamaica, but they're not the only people that exist down there. And so that used to get me super irritated. And I found myself being like this educator for the people, for these kids, like, hey, can we just, (laughs) okay, can we educate ourselves, please? Thank you. That was also frustrating, being responsible to educate myself. And also keep in mind, y'all, I was 11 years old. These questions never ended. So 11, 12, 13, 14, every time I went somewhere new, especially, the questions continued. And it was like, it came to a place where I was even like, why do I even have to identify myself as anything? You know, why is that even important? Who cares? I'm a human being. That's it. That's the most important thing. Um, And of course, when I moved to America, I was 16 years old. Those questions increased. Not to mention, I moved to the South, which was a complete culture shock in and of itself. And I realized people didn't even know anything about Jamaica in general. At least in Canada, you know, there were people who were very familiar with Jamaicans because Jamaicans were so, there were a lot of us over there, okay? A few places you're always going to find Jamaicans, let me tell you. Miami, Atlanta, New York, Canada, Ontario specifically, and in England. You're going to find us there. (laughs) Anyway, so I digress. But people didn't even know about Jamaica, so it was like, oh, what are you? Where are you from? Oh, uh, what are the people like in Jamaica? Oh, do you all smoke weed? You know, all those like typical questions. It was a lot. And it was so challenging for me because I felt like I I was going through a lot of identity uh, crises almost. Like, where do I fit in here? Who am I really? Another thing that I think is important to understand is that I... Even though I am mixed with Black and Indian, the truth of the matter is I don't really have a lot of connection to the Indian side of my family. Meaning like the Indian cultures and stuff like that, I don't have, we we don't have a lot of um, engagement in those kinds of traditions or anything. So uh, really and truly, I feel most connected to Black people and I always have because I've always been around that and and that's just what I'm most connected to. Um but I would say for I would say most connected to black people or to the black culture but even more of course just Jamaican culture in general. Like and anyone asks me I am Jamaican my accent has faded. My path wasn't great. I already know. I already get roasted about it on a regular basis. <laughs> but I am at my core connected to that place 
that culture, everything. And I think a big part of why I am more connected to black culture in general also is because when I was in Canada, most of my friends were black. Most of them were Jamaican, quite frankly, or from from the Caribbean in some capacity. So first of all, I grew up mostly in the church. My social circle was my friends from church and my church was like 90% Jamaican. So either my friends were born in Jamaica or their parents were Jamaican. And so that was my social circle at school. I had a lot of black and Jamaican friends too. (laughs) And then, I mean, I did have Indian friends and some Hispanic friends, um, some white friends, But in general, my circle was predominantly black. And the same thing continued when I came to America. We went to a black church. So, of course, my friends are black. At school, um, this is a whole another, a whole other story. (laughs) At school, this is another story. But I, I talked to mostly black people too. And so, like in the remaining of high school, so actually I've moved to Canada. I mean, I moved to America uh, my junior year of high school. So I had two more years of high school left. I did two years in Canada and then two years in America. And so that was it. And then I went to an HBCU, a historically black university for college. So... Then I was surrounded by black people even more. And so honestly, that is who I feel most comfortable with. That's the culture that I identify with. And if anybody asks me, I'm black. Okay. Not that I'm not claiming my Indian side. Yes, I am mixed. Yes, I am black and I'm Indian. But I identify mostly with the black community. But being biracial, I know a lot of biracial people struggle with that too. Like, am I black enough to be here? Or am I white enough to be on this side? Or am I Asian enough, depending on what you're mixed with? You know, that was always something that I had to deal with more so as a teenager, I would say. You know, then when I left Jamaica, am I Jamaican enough? Because now I live outside of the country and I'm, I've become quote unquote, very Americanized. A lot of people still tell me that to this day. And so it's like, do I, am I still able to claim these things, you know? And so when it comes to Black History Month, It was always something that I felt very proud of, but I didn't necessarily know how to celebrate it. Am I able to celebrate it with all of my black counterparts? You know, and so I think this was my struggle when I decided to do this podcast because I want to be able to do something that is going to accurately celebrate um our history acknowledge our history while also being authentic to myself but something that i am learning is that just because my experience is not the same as others doesn't make it any less valid and it doesn't make other other people's experiences less valid either and again that's why i want to talk about this in this episode. You know, I never 
It's interesting because I really did not experience the typical experiences. Should I say typical? Hmm. Maybe not typical, but a lot of experiences that people in the Black community face, you know, like being followed in the store, the discrimination. Um, I did not experience a lot of that until I went to Argentina. I will never forget. Um, so I did a year abroad to study Spanish in Argentina and I remember the stares. People would look at us. <laughs> Didn't help that even in Argentina, it was me and all my black friends hanging out there, you know, like all the time. If you didn't know, white people make up the majority of the demographic population in Argentina. There were no people, <laughs> nobody who looked like me there, other than my fellow Americans who also were doing the study abroad program. Now, the university that I went to at the time, the students were there were pretty used to seeing black people because you know, we were not the first black people to go there to study Spanish. But when we left the school, when we went to other cities, we were getting stares. Even even in the actual city, we still got stares. Not to mention, my hair at the time was big and curly. I mean, I got all the attention. I felt like I was a celebrity over there. Um, I remember once I was sitting in the cafeteria at school, okay, and all of a sudden I felt someone's hands in my hair and when I turned around and looked, it was an older white lady and she was like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. I love this so much. And it was like, um, lady, who told you you could put your hand in my hair? Excuse me. <laughs> it's crazy because all of those kinds of experiences I had not being in America. And then, you know, the one moment where I was really taken aback was we went to Buenos Aires, which is the capital, and we were doing like a mission trip there at the time. And so I, we had like different people in our group. And so in my group for our mission trip, I was the only dark person in that group. Okay. And well, I had my other black friend there. She's really light skinned though. She can pass, <laughs> but I, I was the darkest person there. We can just say that. Okay. And we were somewhere like we were hanging out in this place. I don't even remember. I think it was like by a, a dock, by some boats, because I remember water was there. And this old couple was walking. And I kid you not, you guys, I was standing there with my friends, with the people in the group. And the man had a lot of space to walk around. But did he do that? No, he came directly towards me like he was walking towards me. And instead of going around, he pushed me out of the way, like quite literally pushed me. And I, I was so taken aback, honestly, like I didn't even know what to do. I couldn't believe what was happening. Um, and what was even worse is nobody said anything. No one in my group. I, I'm, I, I, I told myself they didn't realize this, but they did and they didn't say anything. And 
that was even more heartbreaking because here I am being literally treated terribly by a stranger because of the way that I look and no one is saying anything. No one is standing up for me. No one is doing anything. I myself, as I said, I, I, I didn't even know what to do. I was just so shocked. And so both of those things happened when I was in Argentina and it was it was an eye opener. It was the first time that I really felt different. And I know that a lot of black people feel that way on a regular basis, not to mention black people are treated unequally and unfairly all the time, you know? Um, and so I, I would say, you know, you have stories like this is the first time I realized I was black. That was the first time I realized I was black. That was the first time I realized being biracial didn't really matter because my skin is dark. You know, my skin is melanated, as they say. <laughs> and I mean, I'm not even that dark. Like, that's the thing, too. You know, I know that there are a lot of people who, a lot of my dark skinned queens and kings who get it so much worse than me. So it, it was crazy. I learned there, of course, what it's like to be black, not just in America, but in, but anywhere in the world. Um, but I will say that I learned a lot more just about the black experience from education when I went to my historically black college. And I, I'm so grateful for that experience because, you know, I used to be very defensive, actually, um, when people would ask me questions about who I am and my race, because I, I, I feel like I didn't know myself, as I said earlier, it was... I was struggling with that identity and just being confronted with this and having to label myself and not feeling like I could identify with either thing. It was, I got defensive and upset because, you know, up until my time in Argentina, my, I never had those kinds of experiences and I didn't feel like I had the right almost, you know? Yeah, like I didn't feel like I um I could relate, you know? And quite frankly, my experience was just different from black Americans' experiences. I didn't understand it. I think that was the bottom line. But going to my HBCU and being able to listen to not only my peers' stories, but also be have it be a big part of our lessons of all the classes. I mean, every single class that we took, there was always an element of talking about the how it relates to our our black experience and you know the 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 implications that being black has on all the different um topics or whatever we were learning you know for me we did social work so we talked a lot about the disparities in the social work community in the in the uh, the social work career um all of those things and i learned so much and then when i went to do my masters i did it at a pwi predominantly white institution 
I went to the University of Pittsburgh and that was an experience because I've really felt different there. I think other than Argentina, that was also, that was the first time in America, I would say, that I felt that difference. Um, I will never forget. I was just talking about this with one of my friends a few days ago. We took a class. It was like African American. Uh, what was the class called? Like, um, social work in African African American families, or social work within African American families, or something like that. Which I personally think should have been a requirement for everyone. And, you know, in our, in social work, like, of course, in our human behavior class or whatever, we had our little section where we talked about diversity and we had talked about the black community as we had for the Asians and the Hispanics. But in a general sense, that was just not something that was discussed. And so in any of the classes, which that was weird in and of itself or not normal for me, not something that I was accustomed to as I mentioned. And then when I took this African-Americans class, studies class, of course, guess who all was in that class? 90% black people. In fact, I think there was probably, what, two white people in that class. And I, I will just never forget that experience of going to that class and being free, feeling free to talk about these issues, and then going to another class, and pretty much all my other classes, and feeling like, oh, if I say this, is this going to be offensive to somebody? Or are they not going to understand what I'm saying? Feeling like, or even feeling this burden of, or responsibility of having to explain why someone said an offensive thing, or why this is inappropriate, or why these books need to be updated because this is not relevant to today's society. I found myself having to speak up and be uncomfortable with being that person to speak up um, in predominantly white environments that and I, I understood the discomfort that a lot of my peers felt you know um I really started to feel like, okay, y'all, I get it. <laughs> Can I be with y'all now? Like, are we in it together now? <laughs> but yeah, that was very interesting for me. And, um, and then, of course, going into the professional setting when I started working and being the only Black professional, being the only person in the room that knew about issues that black people were facing you know I was the only person that people are going to look to for the answer like what do we do with this person you know being that person like um in Insecure I don't know if you guys have watched Insecure but I think one of the first scenes in this um in the in season one is when Issa's in a meeting, the main character, she's in a meeting and they're talking about, I don't know, like ideas or suggestions or something as it relates to black people and everybody just looks at her like she has all the answers, you know, like I was that person and I was like, huh, so this is what y'all was talking about when we were in college, you know, 
I remember to last year, 2020, you know, when everything was going down at my job, I was the only person who spoke up about the way that my job was handling the racial injustice because I just didn't feel like they were handling it appropriately. And I was the only person who spoke up. I was the only person who said anything about it. And just having to be that person was so frustrating because I'm like, dang, I gotta live this every day. And I and now I have to be the one responsible because it's like, okay, if I say nothing, nothing is going to change. But if I say something, I'm the black person talking about black issues. You know, it's just, it's very, uh, it was very frustrating. Um, but needless to say, I feel like I can confidently say today, I'm blackity black black. <laughs> I feel like I'm very confident in my blackness now and in talking about these things now. And, you know, it's it's not, again, like denouncing the Indian side of me or anything like that. But I feel like I know what y'all are talking about. And let me just be real with you. Last year, 2020, was so difficult for me with all of the racial injustice and with all of the things that were going on not to mention you guys I was working last year as a mental health therapist in a community mental health center where I have majority I would say like I had a good half Hispanic clients and the other half black so a good amount of my clients are black who were also going through those exact same experiences. And it was so exhausting for me. I struggled, y'all. Last year, I struggled. Um, even this year, with all that mess that happened right before the inauguration, ciao. It was rough. And, you know... Maybe that's something I talk about later on, just about being a black therapist, because that is another huge issue. Um, I feel like, A, there are not enough black therapists, let's be real here, but B, there are not enough black people in positions of authority. And so we continue to have these lack of... I don't even want to say the word awareness because I don't feel like that's an accurate word. People are very much aware, but lack of um, competence, cultural competence. That's a great, that's a great two words. We love that word. We love those words in the social work community. Okay. There's not enough of that. And it's something that affects ultimately our black therapists and the other people of color, you know? But anyways, so there it is. That is my black herstory. <laughs> um, I want to also say to my fellow Caribbean Americans, let us not invalidate the experiences of black Americans 
because it is not our experience. And let's not be ignorant and be like, oh, we don't have these problems because that's a lie. We do. Let's recognize the problems that we do have and actively work on trying to change them. That's what I'm trying to do. And to my fellow Black Americans, I see you, I hear you, I feel you, I'm with you on all the things. And I'm actively working on bettering our community because we can't evolve individually without evolving collectively. We can, but we shouldn't. And I don't want to do that. And that is also a huge reason for me starting this podcast because I want to normalize talking about mental health issues in the Black community because it's a problem. Um, luckily, it is something that is being addressed more often. In you know, in recent times, we have the Red Table Talk. You know, we have uh, Taraji's um, Peace of Mind, and we have. A couple of other podcasts and spaces where people are talking more openly about mental health issues and about things that plague our community. And I vow to be one of those people. And I hope that's exactly what I'm accomplishing with this podcast. So happy Black History Month to all my Black kings and queens, wherever you're from. Black Lives Matter today, tomorrow, and every day after that. Okay. Okay. Before we go, you guys, we're going to end with my favorite, what God has taught me. And today I want to share something actually that my friend shared with me that really resonated with me. So my friend and I, we do our devotion together. We are accountability partners and we do our devotions each morning. And this morning she shared with me something from her devotion that I just want to take some time to read. It's really short and it just says, no tears are shed that God does not notice. There is no smile that he does not mark. I love that. I love it so much because to me it is the perfect embodiment of who God is. He is someone who loves us unconditionally. And that means so many things. But in this specific um, context, it means that when we are sad or happy, whatever we're feeling, God feels it too. I know that, especially regarding Black people in this country and in the world, it's been a very painful experience for a lot of people. And I can't even imagine what it was like all those years ago with slavery um, and with just people being killed on a regular basis for no reason. And sometimes it feels like, man, God, do you even see us? Like, do you even know the pain that we experience? Are you aware of this? And this is just a reminder, like, yes, he is. He is aware. Not only is he aware, though, he feels the pain. And it was never his intention for us to suffer like this. He feels it. And he doesn't want us to suffer like this. Um, and it's also an amazing reminder that when we're happy, he's happy. He notes every time we smile, every time something makes us happy, makes us laugh, 
that's important for him too. You know, I think that sometimes we feel so insignificant and like we don't matter. And especially with recent events in this country, that is the message we get that we don't matter. But I just want to remind all of you that you do matter. You are important. You matter. And with that, I'm going to end the podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in another with me for another week. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much, you guys, for your support. I have received so many messages of support and um, love and people saying that they relate so much to what I'm saying and that is exactly the goal of this. That's all I really wanted and I'm just so grateful that what I've been saying is resonating with you all and I hope that continues and I hope that God will speak to you through me in future episodes. I'm so so grateful for the responses that I've gotten thus far and honestly if this is if this is the best it gets, like I will be so happy. I think that's all I need. I'm so grateful. So thank you so much, you guys. Um, and thank you for continuing to be with me on this journey. And I look forward to talking to you guys every Tuesday next week. I have probably my favorite episode to date. <laughs> One of my favorites. I'm very excited to share with you my first ever guest will be joining me so stay tuned for that and i will talk to you next week bye